0: At the S&P, the this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition. I'm Scott Phillips, as I normally am. The other person who's with me is always anomaly and still is, Dr. Anirban Mahanty. How are you, Doc?
1: I'm very good, Captain. How are you?
0: I'm exceptionally well, mate. I'm also exceptionally aware we have so much mailbag to get through. Uh, we might even have to, I don't know what we're going to do. We have, we'll find a solution. But we might as well get straight into it, mate, rather than me talking about other stuff. Frankly, because last time we spoke was only about 10 minutes ago, even though it was about a day and a half different for our listeners. So we can uh, pretty much get straight on with any further ado. Does that work for you? I think we'll, yeah, we'll keep it
1: short and punch yeah, it. How's that?
0: We'll do our best. Uh, the first one comes from yeah. Nathan, mate. He says, uh, hi, Scott and Doc. I have a question for the podcast, which is just as well, because that's where we're, what we're doing here. He says, uh, I always love the pods. They keep me sane while working underground, digging out iron ore on stints away from home. That's pretty cool. Thank you, Nathan. I appreciate you listening to us. I hope we're, uh, I'm glad we're keeping you a little bit sane, mate. That's awesome. After, in air quotes, getting a better rate, well done, I ditched my financial advisor and his pesky big name underperforming fund. Good man. And have gone the index 60% ETFs with 40% stocks. And this year alone, have invested over 70,000 bucks. Nice work towards my portfolio. I'm feeling confident with my decision, he says. My question is, so firstly, mate, well done. Um, not for everybody, but if it works for you, that's awesome. Taking control of your financial life, paying a bit less in fees, avoiding underperformance. They are really, really important things to do. Is My question is, NASDAQ-based Chinese tech stock, Baidu, if our listeners haven't heard of it, the Chinese Google is the is the easiest shortcut way to describe Baidu, has been a hot topic the last few weeks. Recently, having ARC Invest in the US making a whopping $80 million purchase where there is uh, uh to, where they uh, pressed regular share buys were very, very minimal. So he's making the point they're making a big, a big, a big slice. After doing some reading, it seems they might be getting into some AI electric vehicles in the future. Obviously the tech boom has well and truly jumped during COVID, but after looking at Baidu's performance, it seems this may be, a, may be lagging behind. And the rockets may have just been fueled for future takeoff. What are your thoughts on Baidu and its future? Good on you cobbers. Nathan, cobbers love it. Nathan, I hear that often enough. They? So yeah. Good good question mate. Baidu, do you follow that company at all?
1: Um you know, like a long time back I did. I haven't followed it recently though. Although I have seen the same sort of thing. Um Art Invest, who invest in a lot of disruptive tech have uh, I've noticed that that they've bought, uh, they've got a pretty substantial position I think nice. in uh in Baidu. That's a, Typically a good sign, but, you know, research is what I always say. Um, again, Ark Invest, you know, has one of the, I think, the reasons that both shares is exactly what Nathan has pointed out, which is nice. a, a focus on um, electric. Um, it's, it's more, I think, the focus on autonomy and what they're doing okay. there um, uh, for the Chinese market. So, so I think it's an interesting company, but I haven't followed it. I haven't followed it in a good little while. So I can't really give any other things saying that, well, he's looking at the right places. So that's pretty good already.
0: <laughs> Your thoughts, made on um, you, you, you tend to pay up for tech, and we make this a long one, but just a quick addendum for me. Um, would, you, would you be advising our listeners to be looking for the value play in the tech space? You know, Baidu hasn't been caught up with the rest of the tech stocks. Maybe it's the value play amongst them, or would you be buying, if you're looking for autonomy or self-driving or AI, would you be looking for, the proven leaders in the field, yes, you're paying up, yes, the shares have jumped, but there might be better opportunities there. Do you have a, a sense of which way you might lean? Not about Baidu, particularly if you don't feel confident enough to have a view, but just that kind of idea of, do you look for the one left behind or do you do you jump on the one at the front and, and kind of hold your nose as you pay a high price?
1: Well, I mean, I, I, would, I was not going to characterize Baidu as having been left behind. I mean, okay. there was a long time where, you um, there was a good, I think, maybe two, three, maybe even four-year period where Baidu shares basically went nowhere because their odds were, I think, uh, meddling along. Uh, the shares have actually, I think, been on a on a tear for oh, the go. last maybe year <laughs> or so. So um, I, I don't know whether Baidu is left behind in that sense. Mm. Um, okay. In general, though, like I mean, you, you know, you want to buy with execution and not buy. Because, uh, you know, it seems like mm. it has been left behind. See if, if a company is executing well, so if the if the execution is in the right direction, whether or not the share price is falling is immaterial, because mm-hmm. you want to buy with the execution, but you don't want to buy, I think buying with lack of execution really requires a faith in management's ability to do something great yeah. or do yeah. Um, you know, and that really is possible for those companies with huge balance sheets. I mean, Baidu probably has a good balance sheet. I haven't looked at it in a while, but I don't know whether you know Baidu would classify as a as a Microsoft having missed, um, let's say, you know, mobile. You know, still making a good play of you know the cloud, right? So I I don't know whether Baidu falls in that category. What well, I would characterize by those that can Probably not, because I know mean, that's that's really that's where Tencent and Alibaba would sort of classify as you know sort of the Microsoft equivalent and maybe um in in the sort of the, you know China listed or or, or China, China based uh, tech companies. So no. oh, thank you. The, yeah.
0: Very good. Let's move on to the next question from don't know. Anthony, here we go. Hello, Captain. In your last podcast, this is a while ago, so we did ask some more questions. Here is a bonus one for you. I often hear to people talk about how many shares on offer a company has increased over the years. Where can I easily find the number of shares a company has historically, say, five years ago, without plowing through endless annual reports? Thanks and full on. Doc, where do you get that information for yourself?
1: Well, we typically get it from a place like CapIQ, which is... Um Sort of in you know, a gold-plated database from S and P, Hill company. Um, so you can get it from you know, I mean, you know, you can get it basically from from the annual report. Like in basically you basically just need to look at the balance sheet statement, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it seems like you have to you know look through let's say four or five of them, uh, but you just really need to look at one page um, of that big. Annual report. Otherwise, I mean, a lot of the brokers would carry this information again. Yeah. It, you know, most of the time it seems to be correct because they would have sourced it from you know either Reuters or uh, Reuters Financials or from you know or or I think I think it's called Thomson Reuters or them from Morningstar. So they would have another data provider who typically is you know in the financial um, market space who's providing the data. So a lot of the brokers might have that information as well. Uh, that's another place to look at, but you know nothing beats self-primary sort of source mm-hmm. information. But yeah. That's what yeah. I would say.
0: Nice, I like that, mate. Yep, I, I actually get mine as a primary source, actually, from my Comsec account, frankly, because it's quicker to get there than, than Capital IQ. So, it a, it, but on a trust but verified basis, as you rightly say, mate, the information does come from other data providers. By the way, like Capital IQ. So, even um, you know, even checking Capital IQ isn't the isn't the absolute source. The absolute source is the annual report. So, always go there, um, particularly if you're looking at that and you're, you're mindful of dilution. Uh, but it's a really, really quick guess check, whatever you want to call it. Um, really simple, easy way is just to go to your broker's website, have a look there. Also fair to say um, you should expect certain companies have done it a certain way. If there's a one-off issuance, it may or may not be a bad thing or a good thing. If it's a regular issuance, uh, even if the numbers are slightly wrong, you can assume that there's, a, there's a, a, a kind of a way of working there that might tell you about what they're likely to do moving forward as well. So just uh, worth keeping an eye on that one. Question from Phil. i got a podcast question. He says, hello, Scott and Doc. Long-time listener, first-time questioner. Some months ago, he says, I started buying into push pay. Things were seemingly going great. Then they announced a stock split. Since then, the stock has continually, albeit slowly, continued to fall almost daily. Now, this was uh, sent through a couple of weeks ago, mate. So I will double check the, uh, the share price that uh, uh, recently, see if that's changed. But in any case, that was what was happening. He says, uh, regardless of positive news about increased forecasts for profits or the broader tech sector rising also, I've continued to buy because my conviction for this growth tech stock is high. But what is going on? Am I too blinded by bias? Or is the market simply wrong right now? Thanks for keeping on, keeping on all through 2020 and for a long time to come. And that's from Phil. Thank you, Phil. We've done our best right through 2020 and now into 2021. Mate, hey, we're midway through 20 through February. How, how bizarre is that? Uh it's almost uh, you know, it was it was felt like yesterday we were changing our calendars across and now all of a sudden it's all over. Um, last month the shares have kind of recovered a little bit, fair to say. Um, but over over the last you know six months or so, they had a big drop through December, regained a little bit uh, as we got to the new year, but then i have kind of fallen away since then. They were a dollar eighty in the new year, uh, now down to a dollar fifty eight as I look at this on Thursday morning. What do you make of push pay?
1: Oh, I mean the results were really good uh, whenever they were reported last, um, and you know it's getting some advantage of operating leverage; it's scaling it's got still some opportunities there's been, you know, changes in management and things like that. That's been maybe sort of a drag. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's worth remembering though, that, I mean, the, 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 the shares are up, what, like, uh, since maybe 2016 or something, they're, they're up, what, about threefold or something or fourfold, yeah. almost, three yeah. and a half. Fold. So, I mean, you know, it's been a, a pretty good run for a company. It's already, uh probably a market cap of about 2 million or maybe 1.5. So I don't, I think it's okay. I mean, share price bounces around,
0: so. So the recent share price, you know, fall just kind of just the market doing, being the market, right? No change to the business, nothing to dislike. Just one of those, if you got to wait through the markets, um what do you call it? Volatility at best, uh disinterest at worst.
1: I think so. Like, I mean, Yeah, there was a time when I think, you know, the again, I think push pay has sort of advances and spurts, so -hmm. to speak. So when the results come out, I think there's a big move (laughs) uh, up or down. And and then sort of, um, you know, and and that's maybe the way it should be, right? Because there's no news. I mean, there's no news, right? So that's the thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Nice one. Thank you, sir. Uh, It was a fascinating look at the graph. It was... It fell from $1.70 down to 43 cents through November, most of December, and then jumped back up again. It was uh, obviously in hindsight a fantastic time to buy if you if you got those shares, but uh, but nothing other to to worry about it from the sounds of it. Let's get a question from Alec. Hey Scott, I was watching The Call today. That's a show I appear on not and noticed how high you were on Cochlear. I don't know if that's I'm not sure if that's a comment, a criticism, or a complaint, uh, or, or a compliment. Does their current situation worry you at all? And are you worried about their growing number of competitors? That's from Alec. Um, it was direct, directed at me, Doc, but I'll give you first right of reply. Do you have a view on Cochlear?
1: I'll uh, you answer. He asked you.
0: <laughs> all right, there you go. Um, Alec, I I think Cochlear is one of the better long-term compounders in on the Australian market, not in terms of necessarily sheer pace of compound growth, Uh, But I think Cochlear's market will continue to grow for decades. It is the preeminent name in the space. It is the technological leader. It is the company that most experts and professionals think is the best in the business. That's a really, really nice combination of factors. So I like Cochlear for the long term. Uh, The other thing too, by the way, is once you've got a Cochlear implant, um, literally by Cochlear, you are a customer for life almost by definition. It is not without risk um, the chance that they have genetic treatments or improved or disruptive technological Mm -hmm. ones. Uh, ever present. Um, no stock is ever a bottom draw. Forget about it. Don't ever look at it again. Investment uh, cochlear, I think, is one of the. You know, it's, it's, it's towards the bottom draw end of the of the, of the market for me. Um, but I, but I think you know nothing is nothing is ignored. So, am I worried? No. Am I mindful? Yes, always. Um, I never have absolute faith in any company I buy. I have, I have hopes and expectations, and and then I keep an eye on them as they as they continue to do their thing. Uh, I don't own the shares there, by the way. They are a recommendation of ours at Share Advisor. Uh, have been for a while. We've done pretty well on them thus far. I think they'll continue to be a, a great investment. The numbers do move around all over the place because the Chinese contracts are done on an annual basis. And you either get them or you don't, and that can meaningfully change the reported number of units that cochlear implants, um, but over the long term, the growing affluence of the developing world, the growing uh, numbers of diagnoses made in those markets as well as the developed world, and the likelihood that cochlear remain at the forefront of technology, I think is a pretty good story. So it's not a hyper growth business anymore. Um, it's now the mature market leader, but I think it's got decades of growth ahead of it. Do you want to add any thoughts, Doc?
1: No, I have nothing to add.
0: Let's go from. Oh, we're getting through this in a red knot. This is awesome, Cameron. Hi guys, love the pod. Oh, another one for me, Doc. Sorry, mate. <clears throat> love the pod. And a quick question: Should you decide to run another special mailbag episode? What do you know, Cameron? What are your, What are your odds, mate? You've picked it beautifully. We happen to be running a special mailbag episode this Sunday. As a member of both your services and doing some due diligence, I've had a peek at your personal holdings. Now, our personal holdings are available on the Motley Fool's website um the best way to get to mine without reading out the full url mine's linked on twitter doc is yours linked on twitter as well
1: uh yes i think there so there
0: you go so if you want to find our personal holdings they are always as part of our employment and frankly good practice we just do disclose our personal holdings uh, on our Motley Fool profiles they are linked on our twitter pages i'll give those twitter handles in a minute but just to clear that up so that you if you're listening understand what Cameron's talking about he says, Scott, I note you still hold a stock that you recommended your share advisor members sell in August. What gives? I still hold it for the dividend and is ballast in my portfolio. What's your excuse? I'm going to assume it was done at least with half a smile away. He phrased that. Uh, he says, in brackets, FYI, it's Telstra. Up to you whether you disclose it or not. Appreciate that, Cameron. I will disclose it because it's only fair and I think it adds some value to the conversation. Cheers, Cameron. And, Doc, as we spoke about, I think maybe a week or two ago, this is one company that uh, I had... Uh, recommended in a couple of our different services, most notably here, Share Advisor uh, and Motley Fool Extreme. So, choose not quite. That's yours. Motley Fool Everlasting Income. I've got it you know, on the brain. Uh, in Everlasting Income, uh, it remains a recommendation because we're investing there for income first uh, and for total return second. At Share Advisor, we're investing for total return, and my view and the view of the team at Share Advisor is we didn't expect it to be a market beater for total return over the foreseeable future. And so our job at Share Advisory is to sell those that we no longer have conviction in and to hold or add those we do have conviction in for a total return. In other words, versus the market, we don't think Telstra is likely to be a winner. But for income seeking investors who want a, was it four and a half five percent income year, dividend yield plus franking credits, that's a really, really attractive way to play it. Now, that means that for the right reasons, I have two different views in two different services our trading rules, though, as staff, our staff trading rules preclude me from acting against one of my recommendations, any of my recommendations. And so while if I owned it in if I owned Telstra and Share Advisor would sold it if we didn't own it anywhere else, I would be free to sell it. I'm precluded from doing so because it's still a buy up to our portfolio allocation at everlasting income. Now, for full disclosure, I could also specifically request permission from our compliance team um i'm the clients manager of australia as it turns out so i'd have to request it from our us legal team uh martha who does a wonderful job for us there would either approve or deny uh, reject that request uh, for my purposes I, i'd rather hold those shares in keeping with our, our stated policy the, the spirit of the policy um, it's not a burden for me to do so could i invest that money better somewhere else probably yeah um, but on balance, I'm happy to own it. So that that's the that's the very very full answer, Doctor. Do I miss anything in terms of structure or um, or process? Anything you want to add to clarify?
1: No, I think that's correct.
0: Beautiful. I hope there's an answer. Question for you. It is. Thank goodness. All right. Hi, Scott and Doc. A question from the pod, from a subscriber, SA and EO. Excellent. This is from Simon, by the way. Uh, a pre IPO. Uh, thanks for answering a couple of previous questions. A pre IPO business is advertising on social media it's taking applications pre-ipo now ipo is initial public offering for full disclosure let's let's define our terms uh initial public offering is the way companies raise money and list themselves on the asx it is an initial offering because once it does its initial offering it's then on the market uh, as so it's a first public offering is the way you get onto the asx you can do further capital raising often called secondary public offerings but the initial one is on that gets you listed so that's what this is so they're looking for money pre-ipo they're looking for investors To invest in that business before its planned share market listing. All right, that's the detail. Simo goes on. They claim to be a SaaS company offering digital and remote work solutions. My natural cynicism makes me question why this supposedly amazing opportunity is available to anybody on social media as opposed to the usual closed shop pre IPO approach. Should retail shareholders bother looking further? into this kind of pre-IPO. Now, we're not gonna have a view on the company. He didn't name the company, which is fine. And even if he did, I don't know that we would necessarily want to make a point of addressing it. Um, Largely because the information will be asymmetrical. We don't know everything about it. And uh, it'd be inappropriate for us to give a view. And if we're gonna make arbitrary sweeping statements that may get us in trouble, I'd rather do so without naming a company so we don't have any legal issues. But uh, Doc, if you saw a pre-IPO ad on social media, what would you do?
1: Um. well, if I'm interested, I look at the prospectus and try to understand what's going on, at, at you know, in terms of you know what, what the revenues are, uh, what the growth looks like, you know, et etc. et cetera. Like I mean, you know, you can do if there's a prospectus, one can do the um, due diligence. But yeah, I mean, it. I mean, it, it's um, yeah. If it's of interest then worthwhile doing the due diligence, is what I would say.
0: Yeah, I I would. So I think you, your cynicism your is absolutely right, Simon, in my view. You're absolutely right to be cynical because if this was a slam dunk idea that someone else could throw their money out before you get a chance, they would have done it. Um, very few companies will actively and deliberately prefer to try and raise money from people on social media rather than get an investment bank to throw them a few billion dollars and, and be done with it. So I would be equally cynical or sceptical. There are circumstances where, and Google's a great example, Doc. I'm sure there's others I own Google shares, I don't mean to be biased. I certainly didn't buy with the IPO, where Google did a really good thing, were really super shareholder-friendly when it came to the IPO. They they book they, they built their uh, their share their pre-IPO price based on the aggregate demand. There was no shenanigans from investment banks looking to serve different masters. Um, and others who list on other platforms are doing so because they're trying to do the right thing. So it's not out of the realms of possibility that a company just doesn't want to pay out investment bankers stupid amounts of money to play the game. They'd rather have individual shareholders. Um, I've seen um, there's a brewery out there trying to raise money uh, on social media at one point. There's There's been others out around. Um, so, look, it, first thing, nothing is ever 100% anything, either or. I would be super skeptical at least of the idea before you do your due diligence to stocks And Once you do that, you get a better sense of it. But remember, of course, if it's pre-IPO, they probably don't have to disclose the same amount of information as they would in an IPO listing. That gives them the ability, if they choose, to only show you some information that might put you at a disadvantage. Um, And again, if no one else wants the money and they're offering it to you, very, very much worth asking why um, and, and treat it accordingly when it comes to the level of risk in that sort of potential investment. All right, let's move on, mate, to a question from James. Hey, Scott, love the pod. And I've got a question for the mailbag. Excellent, here we go. I know in previous Shooting Stars picks, Doc had both companies, Livongo, I think it's pronounced pronounced, Teladoc. Livongo has now been merged into Teladoc and Livongo shares have been converted. First thing, mate, before I keep going, am I pronouncing that correctly? Because if I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm repeating like okay, good. <laughs> I was screwing up over and over again, I was going to uh, have to stop. All right, uh, it's now been merged into Teladoc uh, and the Livongo shares have been converted. My question is, what is the shareholder tax implications of this? Does a merger like this create a capital gains tax event? Now, I will say on your behalf, doc, we are not tax advisors. Please don't trust us for tax advice. Go and see your financial advisor. Um, there are circumstances, doc, in which these sort of mergers don't create capital gains implications. Sometimes they do. Do you happen to know in this circumstance how this merger was done?
1: I think this is just a, so there are a couple of things here. Uh, my understanding is uh, actually there was, a, there was a portion, I believe, paid out in cash and a portion paid out in Teladoc's script. So um, I think basically the script is effective an exchange. Uh, you know, for X number of Lavango shares, you've got X number of Teladoc shares. Um, so that there's no, at least it's my understanding is there's no capital gains on that. But you did, I think there was a portion paid out. And I can, uh, this is, I'm just saying this out of memory. Mm. I think there was a portion paid out. Uh, there was a cash component right, as well, okay. um, and I don't know how. Actually, that's that's actually a tricky question. So how, yeah. what, uh, how do you actually tax the tax <laughs> the, the cash <laughs> component? Because um, I guess there's some sort of proportionate. You'd have to figure out what proportion of the shares correspond to that uh, cash. What proportion actually got right. transferred right. to another yeah. asset? Um, yeah it's a tricky one
0: there you go one for the accountant we did our best uh james but can't can't quite get across that one and frankly as i said before we don't uh, do tax advice anyway generally speaking so we're good at broad answers in this particular case one for the accountant all right question excuse me question for patrick hi scott i enjoyed hearing about the podcast invest like the best on a recent motley fool episode i currently listen to motley fool to and from work and when i'm walking my one-year-old nice one patrick so I had a bit of extra time to increase my financial literacy. I was hoping you and anyaban could recommend a few other podcasts as I've actually found it quite hard to find useful podcasts on finance. Loving the Motley Fool podcast and I appreciate both the finance and one what one might call philosophical or value-based ideas to finance that you both bring. Cheers Patrick. Thank you Patrick. Yeah, we're um when aren't you traditional at uh, uh, US colleagues have a hashtag uh, you won't hear this on Bloomberg and I think that's probably about right. We uh, we do tend to um, well, you know, I think I think we recognise that finance exists not in a vacuum, and so we do tend to um, give other views on other things as, as we go, and that does that does Australian philosophy and values sometimes. But we hope to do it respectfully, reasonably, and openly. Um, occasionally, Doc and I agree. Occasionally, we disagree. But you get it, you get it real, and you get it raw. Uh, hopefully, you get it honestly. So that's what we try and do. Thank, thank you for recognising that and appreciating it, Patrick. Doc, um, other other podcasts to help Patrick increase his financial literacy. Anything on your go to list?
1: Um well he's already mentioned invest like the best um, well i mean i could recommend a bunch of other like you know the market has a bunch of other podcasts that he could he could look Be right. you know <laughs> we have an industry focused po- podcast out from the u.s uh, states which is it's interesting um david Gardner's uh rule breakers podcast is very very good that's you know um if you invest in that sort of with that sort of approach, looking for those big, um, uh, big you know big winners of tomorrow, then that's that's a great podcast to listen to. Um, what else can I? I think of. Though, those are sort of my 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 go-to. There are occasionally others that you know, like I just listen to different things when somebody tells me, "Oh, that one was great," and then I would listen to it because you know there's um, yeah, there's just there's a lot out there, so. Uh, a- A16Z, which is uh, a venture capital firm um, in, out of California, I think, out of California, um, they have yeah. a podcast, a bunch of podcasts that one can listen to. Um, yeah.
0: Nice. Thank you, mate. Um, so, the, yeah, uh, firstly, Patrick, I'm not going to give you any answers because I don't want you to stop listening. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> please, don't, please don't stop listening to us though. If others are better. At least promise she'll stay with us as well. Um, a few fruit, so Jock's mentioned a couple. Um, we have to be a little bit careful recommending a US podcast, believe it or not, because Australian Financial Services licensing is pretty clear on if it's, you know, if we're, if we're recommending a non-licensed product as part of our own family, it gets a little bit weird and a little bit strange, um, but they are good podcasts. So separately to the services, we're not going to comment on. Uh, Rule Breaker Investing that, that uh, David Gunn does as stock mentioned is excellent. You'll learn a heap on that one. Go back through some of the old ones. Okay, actually has a blast from the past episode, which he's done just recently where he pulls back some ideas from the past that he likes uh, as kind of interesting ideas to listen to. So that's really cool. Um, in terms of other ideas outside the Fooled Universe, uh, I would uh, hardly recommend a few. And look, here's what I would say. Subscribe to a few. Listen to or read the description of each episode, but only listen to the ones that make sense. Not not ours. Always listen to ours, of course. Um, but I reckon I'll give you a few names of podcasts, but don't listen to all of them all the time. There's too many to listen to probably, and some of them are really wonky. Like Invest Like the Best is great, Sometimes it's too wonky for me, getting into quant analysis stuff. I, I, I don't know every episode, not because they're bad, just because they don't the appeal to me. I think that's the way to, to look at some of those podcasts that are on specific topics. So here's a couple. First is Freakonomics. Um, they have a really big range of stuff, but occasionally they talk about some behavioral stuff, some way markets work or businesses or industries work. That can be useful. Uh, Planet Money is done by NPR, National Public Radio in the US. Planet Money is really good. I think twice a week, a 20 minute episode on something money related, which is cool. They do a thing called The Indicator, which is their shorter daily podcast. Um, that's less relevant per episode, but, but always good stuff uh, to be able what you want to listen to, depending on where you're going with that one. So that's, always, that's also good. Uh, Barry Ritholtz does a podcast called Masters in Business. And again, uh, some great episodes there. Some I don't listen to, most I do. Uh, so there's a few names, hopefully, as you've write, written those down, go back and hit rewind. Press the back 30 seconds button on your podcast player if you want to hear those names again. Um, look, I'm happy to listen to them all. I'm not trying to discourage you from listening to them, but just if you're, if you're looking for financial literacy in particular, you'll find some are really wonky and unnecessary listeners. listening unless you're super, super into this stuff. Um, but others will be really, really useful and, and I- insightful episodes. So there's a few. Any others come to mind, Doc, as you've been listening to me it on?
1: No, I think that's a pretty long list.
0: Beauty. Let's go to Stephen, mate. He says, hey, Scott, Stephen here. I'm a 37-year-old in Perth married with no kids. He says, yet but the wife is in very early pregnancy. So fingers crossed this time as we had a miscarriage recently. I'm sorry to hear that, Steve. And all the best to, uh, to you and your, your lovely wife for, for the uh, the current pregnancy, mate. Uh, Steve says, both have stable jobs, renting, no mortgage, have about $300,000 and can ap- invest approximately $52,000 comfortably annually. Nice one. No investment experience or have never invested to date. Okay. I'm sick of only earning a miserable 1% interest, he says, in my savings account for the past nine years. So I just took my finger out and I'm wanting to invest for our future. Good man. Researched a lot and great reviews about you and The Motley Fool. Can you please point me in the right direction of what you would do if you were in my shoes and where you would propose I start? Would appreciate your knowledge, advice and direction. All the best in 2021. That's from Stephen. Now I did ask Stephen if if he wanted to mention his wife's name We give her a shout out, but he said that he gave me her name, but but said probably don't mention it, so I won't. Uh, but Stephen, thank you for thank you for connecting. As, as I said, uh, we do wish you all the best for the current pregnancy, mate. Hopefully, hopefully your wife stays well and and the pregnancy goes to term without complications, mate. But um, fingers crossed for you. Uh, Doc, your thoughts on how Stephen should get started? So he's got three hundred grand to invest potentially. Now we can't give you personal advice, Stephen, as Doc will likely say. If I don't, um, and you can add about fifty grand a year. So that's a pretty good number to start with and a pretty good way to add up. If you start to kind of do those numbers out into the future, that gets pretty big pretty quick, which is awesome. How would you say Stephen should get started, mate?
1: Well, I would think about putting a portion into um, some ETFs and, and then a portion into uh, some individual companies. And, uh, you know, I would do this slowly over a period of time because, again, you don't want to be starting and then see, you know, the volatility can be very scary. Mm-hmm. So so, so that would be my basic suggestion. And then, of course, you need to research some companies. You need maybe some ideas where you're going to invest them. So you have to find, you know, some trusted sources for you know, research ideas and where you can invest essentially for the long term. So that, that's sort of a rough um, approach I would take. And I, I, I definitely for someone who's new, Suggest that you know you want to put a good chunk potentially at least early on into index funds just to you know take out some of the decision making um hurdles and 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 just get the diversification right off the bat
0: i like that i think that's a really really smart way to start uh, steven i would say don't rush into it um Because what's going to happen if you, look, you've been listening to us for a bit, which is great. Um, If you want to join some of our services for for really cheap prices, I'd recommend that as well. You expect me to say that? It's not an ad, by the way. I actually think people will be helped by that. We've put a heap of work into our new, what we call a welcome series. So when you join, um, how to think about investing, how to think about using the services. I don't know that our members actually get enough value out of that doc, really, honestly, compared to the amount of work we put into it and how important and foundational it is. But that might give you something. Um, I agree, ETFs are a fantastic way to get started. It gets you in the game. It gets you thinking about shares, thinking about businesses, starting to make your own investments, understanding the the impact of different companies. I think it's a great, great way to do it. And then add individual shares. So I can't really add much more to to Doc's point on that. Other than uh, as you do it, the the, the, what do you do with the money side is obviously half of it. As you know, because you listen to the podcast by now, I'm massive on behavioral investing and the impact of our emotions and the market's fluctuations on our investing and I'd hate to see you put in your 300 grand, maybe the market falls 10% over the next month and a half and you pull 270 out and say, that was stupid, those guys are cost me a new car, never doing that again. It doesn't sound like you're that sort of bloke, which is fine, but as anyone moving into the market, I just want you to be really, just, just thoughtful and mindful, not that you're not, but about, you know, how, how meaningful this can change. You know, go back and look at a chart of last year and say, hang on, if I have put 300 grand in the market on February 19 or to be the 21st when you listen to this, February 21st last year, you watch what happened over the next month and a half mate. the market fell 40 percent now i don't think it'll happen this year the same way but hey it could and it's very possible so that that 300 grand becomes what's the mass on that doc 160 180 something like that um mm-hmm. i mean you know it, you would live through that if you if this is you know if we're going back a year and we said today go and do it and you've done it on monday morning um you know you'd be cursing us in a month and a half time now the markets come back well and truly, and including dividends is actually above where it was this time last year already. Um, so that that's you know that that's the that's the long-term reality, or it's not long-term. It's medium-term reality. Um, so that's something to be mindful of. But just please be mindful as you do it that you are moving into a very volatile space. It is super worthwhile, right? I think the returns you'll get from long-term investing, if they're anything like the past, and we again no guarantees, but I think it's more likely than not um, that you know things tend to mean revert over time. If if you get that sort of return, the money you're adding and the money you're starting with. Uh, you'll do very, very, very nicely for you, your family, and, and your your future children. So, mates, um good on you. We Encourage you to get going. Just just do it mindfully. Do it thoughtfully. Maybe even add in in smaller chunks if you feel like you need to kind of enter the market slowly. Um, I don't think you need to financially, mathematically, but you may find it's an easier way to get started without kind of feeling like you've thrown your whole lot in and you've you know you've thrown the thrown the, uh, the the ball on the roulette wheel. You know, investing is not rule it, but you can feel like it in the first couple of weeks and months, as you see it the share prices get jerked all over the place. So just be mindful of that. Uh, anything else on that one, mate?
1: Um no, I think you covered it.
0: Cool, thank you. Value stocks, market stock market. Index share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. I don't know what you know about Seven West Media, doc, but Gavin said, Hi, Scott. I'm with Club Plus Super and able to invest in ASX 300 companies. It's going quite well. Good man. Personally, my wife has a, a number of shares. I won't do the number in Seven West Media. However, I would love to get some with my super. My question is Will Seven West Media get in the ASX 300 soon so I can purchase? Um, I already have some shares, but this WM, Seven West Media, looks juicy. Uh, I'll. I'm going to say, I don't think, unless you have a view, we don't really have a sense of what might or might not go in the ASX 300 and when. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, it's one of those things, mate, you guys know, just to wait, wait and see. Um, frankly, I uh, think maybe after the last couple of days, the extra profit for media companies might well see them get big enough to get back into some of the indices after Google has to hand over you know, millions of dollars in cash to, uh, to keep distributing their, their media. We won't go back into that conversation. But if you missed Friday's episode, have a listen. Uh, I, I don't know, mate. Do you have, do you have any thoughts on 7West Media or the ASX 300?
1: I don't have a view on that.
0: Yeah. I, we don't know. Sorry, Gavin, is the, is the uh, very un- unhelpful but honest answer. All right. One from Rakesh. Hi, Captain and Doctor. Thank you both for the pod. I've been listening for a while. I have got a lot of useful info from it to help me on my journey. Awesome. Thanks, Rakesh. Glad, you, uh, glad you're enjoying it. My super is invested in a super company. I think he means with a uh, retail super fund. My question is, where do all the franking credits go? Do super funds pass on the frank inside the franking credits? Because they seem to still be taking 15% tax out. Or does it disappear somewhere? If that's the case, would that be a big benefit of setting up an SMSF? Thanks for answering, Rakesh. Doc, super SMFs, Fs, and franking credits. Well,
1: I think Rakesh, well, I, say, I think the franking credits should come back to uh, to you know your holdings in this case. Yeah. If you, if it's with a retail um, you know super fund, I guess um, it, it shouldn't disappear. Um, so, and yeah, if you have an SMSF, they would still come to you. So it's, it's, it, it, as the floor of franking credits is the same. Yeah. That's my understanding.
0: Yes, yes. So here's the, um, I'll, I'll, I'll you can Google this, but I will read it just for the benefit of everybody. Uh, I've just, I've grabbed it off Australian Super's website because they explained it nicely. You might be with Australian Super, but it's the same across the board. Um, they say this, quote, Australian shares held by the fund on behalf of members generate franking credits, as you'd expect. These credits reduce the total tax the fund pays. We achieve this because the assets which support each investment option um, and the accumulation pension phase are held in one entity. So that's basically the way it works. It reduces the tax paid by the super fund uh, by basically going into the full fund value, and the fund still pays the fifteen percent tax. But like individual investors, we still pay full tax on the earnings. The, but the frank credits are actually included in those earnings when the tax is calculated. So. This, this kind of feels a bit weird, right? People think about frank credits as reducing or lowering your percentage of tax. It kind of does, but in a weird way. Effectively, you add the frank credits to your dividend, and then the whole larger amount is taxed at your marginal rate. So you're still paying the full marginal rate, but you don't ever see the cash of the frank credits. I know that feels a bit weird. I know it sounds a bit weird, um, but but so work with me. Effectively, the frank credits increase the return that which is then taxed at 15 is is kind of the the shortcut version of that. Is that fair, doctor? I Watch that or was that reasonably okay? I think that's correct. <laughs> Let's go, Alex. Question for the podcast. I've been a subscriber of the Motley Fool services for two years in both Australia and the United States. I've had a number of my own purchases trying to follow the principles of my number one podcast. I'll assume he means ours. Fair federation that, 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 that no, I think so. It has to be. Okay. What else? <laughs> okay. Are there any other podcasts? I don't, I'm not sure there are other podcasts. Despite what I said earlier, there really is only one podcast. Uh, over the years, Alex says, it has resulted in me investing in about 100 different companies. I've just doubled my money in two years. Jeez. So I've done well. Well done Done better than me. But have I created my own index fund? Now, throw some hashtags out. hashtag Mercenary Mahanti. And his hashtag, Captain Phillips, talk about conviction and removing stocks that I wouldn't reinvest in as at today. But how does this work when trying to create a three to five year outlook and when there are so many extreme opportunities and they all sound so promising? With Motley Fool's EOO recommendations, am I better off removing all stocks not on the quarterly top 10 conviction list? Many thanks for your help. Uh, and Mr. Cook still hasn't let me give you guys more than five stars we do occasionally ask for more than five stars even though we know it's not possible Doc you were going to talk to Tim Cook about that have you solved that yet or no?
1: Well, you know, like, I'm working at it, you know. <laughs> All right. I'm, looking, I'm working towards getting an exam.
0: Take it under advisement. All right. Mates, um, a really great well, question you, from Alex. You, you might
1: have better luck with Pinchai. He's a cricket fan. So Maybe, you know, you oh, can talk about cricket and stuff like There's that. An and then maybe, an you know, <laughs> you know, he, he he would love to fly in for a cricket game. So you oh, get him to come here for great. a cricket game, and then uh, you know you might have an angle there.
0: I'll, I'll invite him down. I think the maximum maximum score in cricket per per ball is six, so maybe maybe you can give us six stars. Ex- exactly,
1: exactly. <laughs> well, you know, and you can get a six. And can you get a okay? Can you get a if you get a, a six and a no ball, do you get seven? You actually. Oh, have that's seven. true, right? Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, know. I
0: mean, you can get you get more than you get four wides. Can you get seven on? a, I suppose you could, right? You get the. I think
1: you can. You get a no. If you get a no okay. ball, then yeah, and the yeah. six.
0: So can you, you run yeah. on than six runs? I suppose you could if the grounds big, big enough. Anyway, we're we digressing. Um, so Alex got more than hundred stocks because he's followed our recommendations, which is awesome. But he's worried about. That he's created his own effective diversified index fund by having so many different companies. So I guess a couple of questions, mate. Should he be worried about that? And then we say, hey, don't don't you know don't own the stocks you wouldn't buy if you if you own them today. And then he's talking about, well, how do I work out the three to five year thing? What are your what are your thoughts, mate? And, and lastly, should he use? your top 10 conviction stocks list as a way to cull his portfolio?
1: You know, the issue with this one is that there's no perfect answer, right? So I'm gonna to try to give, uh, general. so here's another way to think of this. He's investing across uh, the US market, industrial market, combine those two markets together, they're probably about, what, maybe 8,000 companies or something like that that you're investing against, right? Um if you look at the popular benchmarks that you know if you look at the ASX 300 here that's 300 companies if you look at the S&P 500 that's 500 companies yes. effectively across the two markets there are 800 companies you're investing in 100 right so effectively it's a much smaller pie of the of the of the big ocean in that sense right so i mean well 100 seems a lot it's actually not a lot when you compare that with respect to mm. i guess the entire ocean that's, that's number one number two is if you had decided to buy an all-world all world index, you'd land up with like 2,000 companies in it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you in similarly, if you bought the NASDAQ 100, I guess you'd have 100 companies. So, or the S&P 500, you'd have 500 companies, right? With different applications. So it, it, yes, 100 is high on the higher side, but it's, it, it's not necessarily a problem. And I'll explain why it's not necessarily a problem. If you're doing this, over time, so like you know, if you buy small slices of companies and you basically let sort of the you know companies that are doing well do their thing, maybe you add to them the companies that are not doing well. You, you know you just leave them around to just. Typically, what would happen is the companies that are not doing well would become a smaller and smaller and smaller percentage of in terms of allocation of the portfolio, and it become almost immaterial, right? And the the companies that are doing well and to which you have added because they were doing well. They'll become a bigger portion of your portfolio. So it would still be the case, I would think, that in this hundred you know, stock portfolio, maybe you still get a skewed distribution where maybe 30% of the companies are actually generating 80% of the returns. And you know, sometimes there's yin and yang, right? You know, one company is doing well, maybe in another year, another company is doing well. So there's those are sort of phenomena uh, that do happen. So it all unless unless somebody has an urge to add. To sort of companies that are not working out because you know you're just trying to average down. Owning more companies as a starting point is not necessarily a problem. Um, right. Of course, if you have limited funds and you want to raise capital to buy something that you really like because you don't have additional funds, well, then you're probably looking to sell something, in which case you would probably be looking to sell the you know your lowest conviction ideas. But typically your lowest conviction ideas, if you followed like sort of the approach I have outlined, would also have. Very little funds. <laughs> in, in other words, like selling them typically would not generate a lot of funds to put into another company I mean that, that's a typical way of uh, in which basically if you let time do its thing, you would find the things skew out towards you know you probably only need to pay attention to the top 20 of the company and maybe you, you know you could decide to get rid of the bottom 20 in that case over time. So so I think that's that part. Uh, there is no, I I don't want to give an answer saying that you know 30 academically is 30 and this like that. You know, there have been times when I've had many companies in my portfolio, there have been times when I've had less. It all depends. And I think that's the right answer, at least in my opinion. Then with respect to the confection list, okay, so here's the thing. The the extreme opportunity scorecards came keeps growing because we add new companies to the list, right? And and of course we have re-recommendations, but we add new companies to the list and we are slow to sell generally unless the thesis is going bust completely or the uh, the you know the, the company has a chance of going bust. We are reluctant to sell because again we realize that small companies have a lot of volatility and there might be years where they're patchy um, and they might still come back and do good things, right? Um, so the list of conviction ideas really is a reflection of which uh, of the companies that we have recommended, which of the stocks we have recommended are doing well and are generally relatively priced to, to, to deliver in, in a sense that they're doing well, but they're not priced you know, um, to the moon. So, so that's how we pick that list. but. Something might have just, you know, we might have had a company on our list, uh, in, you, know, you know, a quarterback. Yeah. Right. So, you know, the, the last list had it and we just dropped it this time because, you know, things are not really working out that well. But that doesn't mean that the company has become a sell, right?
0: Well, or so, something else has generally knocked it out because they've been doing even better, right? That last year's number, yeah, number 10 yeah. might be this is number 11. Just because there's a new number 10 doesn't mean that you necessarily hate the stock all of a sudden.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So we provide this list as it's it's basically like a best buys now, except that it's like a best buys now at that time of like 10 companies, because yeah. we have just refreshed that list. Uh, and in fact, if we, we tend to do it with the best buys now release, which basically means at that point in time, we didn't have a best buys now. We just, we just put these 10 ideas out. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I mean, I wouldn't use, I would use the list. I would suggest that the list is useful for addition, like say that's a, it's a reminder that hey, here oh, are some like ideas that, that you, you yeah, want to right. look at to top up, or yeah. to start a position if you haven't started a position because we like them. I wouldn't use it as an exclusion. Mm-hmm. So uh, in my mind, exclusion really is when we issue a sell alert or maybe even a, you know if we issue a hold alert because you know things that you know you want to watch and you really need to raise capital to buy something else maybe you can you know so I, w- I would say exclusion is more start with sales that we have sold uh and sometimes we get ourselves wrong too right i mean you have famously talked about for example dominoes, right mm-hmm. um that you know was probably a bad idea to sell and sometimes that's mm-hmm. going to happen we um we we sold Circle in one service, which, which well, in the, in the benefit of hindsight of the share price, at least, mm. um, it, it looks like a bad idea. We didn't sell it from <laughs> from, from from Extreme Opportunities, but you know that's some sort of the benefit of just being patient sometimes is and just letting things um, just pan out on their own. So you know, like your famous line, you know, be, you know, be slow to sell. I think is 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 probably the right thing.
0: Nice, but That's a really comprehensive answer. I'm not going to talk about EO at all because it's your baby. Um, in terms of number of stocks, Alex, here's the thing. Like, you know, th- there's a decent chance you've got 100 companies that a small number of those are probably no longer worth holding in absolute or relative terms because law of averages, law of averages, right? Um, that being said, if you'd have asked me, and like I spoke about Dominoes on Friday, if you'd asked me on ShareAdvisor to nominate the five or 10 companies that I thought were going to ma- give the maximum returns for our scorecard, I don't know I would have been right. And so Doc's point about, you know, the 80% of the returns being driven by 20% of the companies or whatever, I think you use that that um, structure, Doc, is about right. Now, and in advance, really, really hard to know which one's are going to be the big winners. You kind of have a hopes for all of them, and maybe you might even have a, a, a guess that some might. But if you ask me to pick the five stocks that were going to deliver the best returns when I picked them, I don't reckon I could have done it. So I'm a big fan of having a, a diverse portfolio. Um, as Dr. already mentioned, 100 out of, you know, x thousand is, is nothing, neither here nor there, so I wouldn't worry about it. And I definitely wouldn't try to find stocks to sell. Now, when I, my, the one I will pick up on is my, my comment I make regularly about, you know, if you had your portfolio sold for you yesterday afternoon, or in this case, Friday afternoon, you had to buy back Monday morning, would you buy back the same stocks? I still think it's a really useful conversation. But don't assume that you can only buy 50 of those 100 or 20 of those 100. You buy the whole 100 if you want to, and you shouldn't avoid doing it just because you have 100. Um, it can be difficult to get your head around. It, it can be difficult to keep your eyes on. It. I get it, all that stuff. But again, as Doc's said, the, 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 the ones that deliver will deliver, and the ones that don't won't. And the, the portfolio size line will get its job for you. If you end up with probably 40 positions that are less than half a percent each over, over the long enough period of time, then that's cool. They've, they've found their own way and they probably don't matter anymore, right? At least in, in aggregate. If you do look at them and say, you know what? I bought that stock six months ago. I'd never buy it today. That was a stupid thing to buy. Then yeah, sell it because you realize you made a mistake. Great reason to sell. As Doc said, if you want more money for something else and you kind of go, do I really, do I buy, you know, Apple or Scott's new telephone company.com? You know what? If you own the latter, I'd probably sell them by the former. That makes perfect sense. Um, so, you know, there are, there are there are plenty of reasons why you might want to invest in different businesses and there are plenty of risks to sell, but I wouldn't actually, size of my portfolio for the last one I'd use. With the only exception, as I finish off, being you need to be able to follow the companies that you you own, right? If you can't follow them, or you're not interested enough in following them, if you can't get your head around them, if there's just too much going on, then maybe you do have too many. So if you're using our services and you're happy to, to take our advice and our coverage, then great, That we're doing it for you. Um, but if you got like, if I had 100 companies, I didn't have a day, this wasn't my day job, I couldn't keep track of 100. I just couldn't do it. And I'd probably feel uncomfortable about it unless I was using Motley Fool services or someone else who gave me that advice. I knew that as long as they liked it, I was happy to own it, um, that would be enough for me. So the, 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 probably the, the attention and interest is probably the thing I would use above pretty much anything else that we just talked about. If you want to cull, that's one reason. I think it's a, it's a pretty good reason to to take the knife to uh, to your portfolio if you need to. Now, doc, question from Denham. He asked a question about Cedarwood's property the other week. He's come back on another. one. He says, Um, I trust you both keep well. Thanks for taking my question on Cedar Woods property in last Sunday's not-so-special mail value edition, which was, a, I don't know, not-so. We didn't say it wasn't special, did we? It's always special. Oh, Correct, wasn't it? It's not unusual, Dan, but it's always special. All right. He says, still on property, but on prop tech. I would like to get your thoughts on rent.com.au, a platform dedicated to rental property space and its participants, i.e. renters, landlords, and agents, which has been on our radar for a while. I feel like the platform has the potential to be a disruptor in the property market in Australia and challenge some of the incumbents in the space, such as the 800-pound gorilla, REA group, domain group, and the current systems and processes, i.e. rental agents. Uh, also, he says at the start of 2021, uh, February 2021, Bevan Slattery, famously of uh, NextDC and others, invested $2 million in rent and the share price jumped 500% a few weeks. <laughs> That'll do it. Thanks once again for all that you do and keep up the good work. Regards, Denim. Gee, I would have liked to know in advance that uh, Bevan was investing something. Well, I couldn't have because it would have been inside of trading. But man, imagine having imagine buying shares the day before um, Bevan stumped up his cash, mate. That would have been a nice little return in the space of a couple of weeks. Do you have a view on rent.com.au?
1: um no i haven't looked at it in any, any detail oh, to okay. have any substantive view but you know yeah mr slatter investing in a company gives the company share price has <laughs> a great eye for tech um yeah. so, you know he, he invested in um, a, a company called uh, pointera and the mm-hmm. shares basically i mean pointera has is wow. getting really well but the share is just you know took off so um in in some ways you know this is what i I tell myself at least you know if mr slattery's investor is worth a look uh (laughs) definitely so I'm i'm gonna give this a look to just see uh you know uh, what is it that Mr.
0: Slattery is saying? Maybe I should, <laughs> I should do it. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. he's, no, he's no mug, is he? Uh, I should say, by the way, a 500% gain looks impressive, uh, and it is, but the shares went from $0.05 cents to $0.25, cents, and the market cap went from about $20 million to about $100 million, which is not nothing, uh, but we're not talking about, you know, CSL going up five-fold or Apple going up five-fold or something like that. So there are, you know, it doesn't take much. This looks like a reasonably thinly traded company too, so it doesn't take much for share prices to to move around a little bit. Um I know. I simply know nothing about it. I, I've, I've, seen, I've seen, we've talked before. I think we might talk about this last week, Doc. The, the challenge for disruptors to actually disrupt in a meaningful way, but then how quickly they can get away once they do manage to disrupt and find a foothold. I feel like Rent is at least thus far in the former group, um, because it's a fight for eyeballs and for traffic and for everything else uh, until they get meaningful traction. They really are. Even if they are a better idea um, and a potential disruptor, they could remain that forever or until the cash runs out. Now, as Doc says, Bevan Slutter investing is a is a decent sign of at least being worth a look, and it's certainly not super expensive. Um, I what I if I was going to invest in this, what I'd be looking for is traction in a, on a revenue line, right? So just simply sales growth, a meaningful sales growth, and sustained sales growth. Not one off, not you know uh, one deal, but if you can start to grab. Um, maybe a whole agency's worth of business. If it gets LZR who to sign it with it, for example, or it does a partnership with Domain or something like that where it's, it's going to deliver regular ongoing business because once these things do scale, they absolutely can be super disruptive. So I reckon you're right to have identified it. I think it is absolutely ripe for disruption in this kind of area, for sure. There's also a whole lot of best interests who I can let you disrupt them easily and quickly. And so if you think about where the money is being made, who's getting the oh, – say kickbacks, I don't mean that in an illegal sense, but who's making money from these things – the agents get their pound of flesh. Someone else gets their pound of flesh. There's plenty of people with skin in the game here. I, is there enough momentum for change? Now, Uber, great example. Cabbies were charging, remember they were charging 10% commission for credit card transactions back in the day? They probably still do, I just haven't caught a cab in years. Um, you know, like the, at some point, you, you, you know, it, it's right for disruption. It was right for disruption for 25 years. Um, Macquarie Bank even tried to disrupt them, right? Was it Apple cabs, Doc, I think from memory? Um or Lime or both, I can't remember. Anyway, you know, just because it's right for disruption, just because someone's trying to disrupt them, they are interesting facts. You just want to see traction before you, you jump on board. Anything else to that, mate? Oh, um, no, I have nothing to add. Beautiful. I reckon this might be our, uh, we'll, yeah, we'll scrape one question. All right, here we go. Um, <coughs> here we go. <laughs> we got a bit of feedback from the Bunyip. Um, apparently, I haven't really listened to the episode, but apparently uh, we got this got this point. Please pass on my thanks to Scott and Doc for answering my question on Sunday's podcast. However, could I please request a small correction for your listeners? Scott misread my email, oh dear, and said that CMC, is the stockbroker, zero brokerage was for minimum lots of $100,000 instead of $1,000, a very big difference. As much as I love the idea of your listeners to think of me as Mr. Old Moneybags, it might be best to correct that information, if only to be fair to CMC. So there you go. If I said there was a minimum lot of $100,000, my apologies, Um, apparently it was $1,000. I don't remember saying it. But I'm sure that's true, and frankly, I, I yeah, I'm so sure it's wrong. I'm going to bother looking. I'm going to go checking. If I did misread it, I'm sure I did. It was for a thousand, not a hundred thousand dollars. So there we go. That gets that out of the way, mate. Um, one from Kyler. Hi, Scott and Doc. My name is Kyla. I'm an Aussie living in London, a long-time listener of your podcast. A- oh dear, and a recent member of Extreme Opportunities. Sorry, Scott. Gee, thanks, Kyla. All right, here we go. Um. This is in in keeping with the previous question we asked, Doc. She says, I have a question for the pod regarding EO and Doc's high conviction list. Man, sounds like a good feature. I'll talk about that in a minute. Obviously, we can't buy all the shares on the list each month. So how do you recommend we choose from your list? Should we buy the ones that look like the best value since first recommended, i.e. the share price has dropped? Or should we pick the ones that have performed the best since they were recommended, even if the share price is now significantly higher and close to or over fair value? Your general advice on the podcast tends to be that winning stocks keep winning and not to miss them, but be careful to overpay for them. Yeah, this investing is hard, Kyla, you're right. you also warn against bargain hunting and doubling down on losing stocks, but also say that unpopular stocks missed by the rest of the market can be great opportunities. So this is where I get confused. I understand you can't give personal advice, Kyla says, just looking for some general pointers. Also, could you please ask your colleagues over this side of the pond, just add a Motley Full UK podcast. We will pass on your request, Kyla. Thanks for all the tips and valuable insights. full on, Kyla. Doc, it's a great question. We absolutely do talk out of both sides of our mouths sometimes, don't we? We say, don't worry about paying too much. Then we say, but don't pay too much. And <laughs> pick up pick the ones that are winning. But there could be some value in the miss the stocks the market's missing. Um, and the problem is they're all true and they're all false. And it's kind of situation specific. But broadly, let's get back to the nub of Kyla. Even though she's not a share advisor member for I don't know what reason, Kyla. I can't imagine... What possible reason you could have for not being a share advisor member i'm sure you'll correct that in due course but in the meantime doc how should she treat <coughs> excuse me your monthly recommendations and your high conviction list when trying to work out what stocks to buy
1: well, well kyla first of all uh you know um i'm delighted that you're on the extreme <coughs> uh uh extreme airplane or extreme train or whatever you want
0: to call it oh, the extreme train! i like um, it the-
1: uh, extreme train. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I hope the seat is nice <laughs> and it's treating you well. Um, it's, it's like you know we try to give you a first class so It's, it's
0: going to cool. be an extreme. It's going to be an extreme self-driving EV, surely. I mean, I, if I think about it, it's not really a plane or a train. It's got to. It's got to be a self-driving EV, doesn't it?
1: Well, she she, uh, she said she's in the UK, right? I mean, they've got fast trains. That's why I use train. Oh, okay, you
0: know? okay, no, fair enough,
1: fair um, enough. And, and <laughs> from my, you know, from, from from when I've been to the UK, I found the traffic actually kind of moves slowly. Although on the on the M various M's that they've got, M ones oh, and so on and so forth. I think yeah. it, the stuff actually moves moves <laughs> quickly. So, um, but I thought train is a is a good analogy uh, for her. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, I used to love getting the train from uh, London's King's Cross to various parts <laughs> that you know you used to travel to. Um, yes, so yes. Anyways, I have fond, fond memories of uh, of traveling in the UK. Okay, so to answer her question, so. Yes and no in the sense that you know, we say that well <laughs> add to winners, um, you know, sometimes there's value. The the value to, to answer that the high easier question, there is sometimes value in stuff that has been left behind, right. but that's pretty rare. That's pretty rare because you know, um, you know, most of the time stuff has been left behind because they should have been left behind, but sometimes <laughs> that's right. value. Yeah. yeah. So you have to kind of look harder. Uh, to find those. With respect to winners keep winning. What typically tends to happen is, you know, they're in disruptive areas, they're winning. Uh, You know, people, when they're small, people don't kind of ignore them. When they're a little bit bigger, people think other people are going to disrupt them. Uh, But, you know, people sort of always miscue. uh, For especially, you know, uh, um, things that are very disruptive, people miscue how long a company can win. So, I think those yeah. things do happen. So, again, it's a very qualitative judgment, which, again, you can make if you are following a company over time. I think that is the edge, really. It mm-hmm. helps you understand a company, and, and not everything is quantitative. Qualitative um, understanding is really, really important. So, you know, and that comes with basically just experience with a company. With respect to our list, though, like our list is a list of 10 companies, and, and they're actually never really kind of ranked like right it, it is a list of 10 companies we like so you can do a number of things you can yes you maybe if you can't buy all of them buy the ones that fast you know seem um, relevant to you i think you should build a portfolio based on what works for you because you know and i said that for you part is really important because that is what helps you deal with volatility. Because you know if you like a company because you have studied, and I mean, it's in our list, we like it. It's a buy for us. Now, which one of those should you buy? Well, it should be the one that you like, right? Not, not because again, the company that I might like the most may not be a company that you like the most. And then when you know, stuff happens, if, if you bought a company that you don't like, but I like, <laughs> then you might be willing to let go of it sooner than you probably should, right? So I think the ability to buy companies that you enjoy, which is why, like, for example, like I'll give you a good example, right? I think both Google and Apple are great companies, but I don't own Google because I just don't like the idea of owning Google, right? It's, a, it's a, it, it sounds like a very poor uh, argument, but you know, like, I don't need to have both.
0: Yeah, and, that's right, that's right.
1: And I really enjoy, you know, listening about Apple. I enjoy Apple's products. I understand what Apple is doing. It gives me great sense of enjoyment. And therefore, I'm able to, you know, there have been many times when Apple's shares are traded down significantly. And as you know, I understanding the company, I'm able to actually uh, take advantage of it. That's right, that's right. Right? So so that's the thing. It's not that Google or Facebook, two companies that I do not like that much, uh, but, you know, they could be valued. And if you really, for example, happen to be an Instagram user and you really see value in it and you see how Instagram is changing, for example, with, with things like shopping and how Google is, cha- uh, Facebook is changing, for example, with Marketplace uh, that it has launched, that is an example of, you know, using your... So, you know, our ideas are are researched, they're vetted by us, we think they're good ideas, but I think you build your portfolio, build a portfolio that you like based on those ideas, right? Yeah, i will never say to take our sell ideas, unless of course you do the research and you think we are wrong, then of course, by all means, we are always, you know, we can be wrong, we are wrong, we have been wrong, and we will be wrong again in the future. Uh, There's no doubt about that. Um, But yeah, if you're willing to take that bet too, you can do it as long as you do the research. But if you're looking at our ideas for filtering, I'd say use our ideas to Pick the
0: ones that you like. Mm. I like that, man. I think it's I think it's worth reminding. I think you know, Kylie, you're right to ask the question, and you're right to highlight the the apparent um, uh, straight you know, hypocrisy, or just just you know the 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 uh, the fact that sometimes we're giving advice which is directly contradictory. I think what's really important is that what we're Trying to make the point, I think broadly, is don't take any of these things arbitrarily. There have been, like, take take GameStop, right? The GameStop share price kept going up and up and up and up and up, and we've talked about that well and truly enough. We're not saying no one, none of us, are saying buy it because it's going up, and frankly, just because it's coming down, we're not saying buy it because it's falling because <laughs> it was, you know, it, it was just super Now that's a very extreme example, of course, not to not to intend on the pun, um, but that, that's a very that's a very specific. Circumstance. There are some cases where, and we, we talked about push pay a little bit earlier. Was it earlier today, Doc? Or was that um, on Friday? I can't remember now. It was today. Um, the the fact that the share the shares fell from a dollar seventy to forty cents, then back to $1.70. dollar seventy. Now, you know, hindsight is obviously twenty twenty, but that would have been a great time to buy at forty cents, even though the share price had fallen. Equally, there are prices of companies. What's a, What's a nice Woolies, right? At at twenty five times earnings, or Commonwealth Bank at twenty five times earnings. You know. It, winners keep on winning yeah but we're talking about the businesses not the share prices here so it's really 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 important if you've got a great business growing quickly don't worry about overpaying but if you've got a great business growing quickly it's cheap that's also great you know so we're sort of i, I know it feels weird i know it feels hard to kind of get your head around as a, a simple rule of thumb because there just isn't one i had someone message me on twitter the other day saying you know um how do i know what a stock's undervalued i like this stock it keeps going down what's going on it's like there is no there is no magic answer because if there was everyone would already know it." And investors couldn't beat the market by buying stocks. That that would be exactly the problem. So in both cases, don't buy stuff just because it's cheap. Don't buy stuff just because it's going up, but don't avoid them on the same basis either. Make sure you're paying at a good price for the future of the business. And that's probably what we don't say enough, Doc. Well, we talk about a lot, but we talk about, you know, winners keep on winning. We're expecting them to keep winning into the future. So, you know, if that's true, go and buy the shares. If we're talking about a business like Telstra, there's probably a good price to buy it and a good price to sell it. And so it kind of depends on the company we're talking about and what its future look like. Telstra's not going to be able, you know, not going to grow at double-digit rates for the rest of, it, the rest of my life. Um, it, you know, there's, there's a maximum price you want to pay for that. Take a different business, a Tesla that Doc loves. If the share, you know, if the business keeps producing up more and more cars and batteries and, you know, goes to space and does whatever else. Then there may be no price too high to pay, at least in the foreseeable future, right? They're, they're very, very different businesses for very different reasons. I think that's and I, I get it. I, I, I even as I'm saying it, I know you are you're saying fine, but give me something hard and concrete to go with. I just can't, Kyla. I would love to, I really would, but I just I just can't. And that's that's just the reality of it. But hopefully, our context is giving you some sense of how we think about going about it. Does that, does that do a reasonable job, Doctor? Else you want to I think so. All right. Let's uh let's Finish this one up, mate, with a couple of things. The first is, like Kyla, Kyla's a very discerning young woman. She knows what she's doing. She knows where the best places are to get her investment advice. She's decided – I don't know why she's not joining SA. That's a whole different conversation we'll have another day, Kyla, you and I. But she's decided to join Doc and Kevin at Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities, and I think you probably should too. You can go to fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast for what I'm going to call, the the the. I think, in my humble opinion – this is opinion only – the very best value investment service in the country. I won't say in the world because that's going to get me in trouble with a whole lot of financial regulators. In the country, uh, the price you're paying for EO dramatically undervalues it. In my view, the returns you potentially could get are many, many multiples. Now, past performance is no guarantee. We're not going to make any promises at all. And there will be times when all of our services underperform. So keep all of that in mind. But Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities, I think, is a wonderful way to get access to some of the smartest blokes I know and their stock recommendations. So that's full. .com.au forward slash e-o podcast, write that down, type it into your browser, put it in Bing if you have to, although Bing might can you don't, don't use Bing, just use, use a browser, right, Doc? No comment. Use Bing. <laughs> uh, and jump on Multifull Extreme Opportunities. Speaking of which, if you want to get in touch with us, so and we think you should, um, we are currently uh, out, <laughs> I'm not sure, I was going to give our Facebook page, mate, but uh, at, least, at least at the time of recording, it turns out Facebook has decided that we're a news agency. We probably are, I suppose. So you probably can't get too much from us on Facebook on our corporate page. You can, though, at the moment at least, as long as no one from Facebook's listening, go to my page, which is Scott Phillips Money. I won't be posting any news links there because I'm not allowed to anymore, seeing Facebook have made their changes. Though, again, by some schedule, who knows what's changed in the meantime? So if you're on Facebook, you can get me at Scott Phillips Money. You can follow our page at The Motley Fall Australia. But... Uh, bear in mind i'm gonna let her post anything right now so maybe you, you, we'll, we'll let you know if one of that changes but you can still jump on some of our other pages you can go to twitter where you can get anirban mahanti which is at anirban Mahanti. that's where doc is exclusively via twitter jump on there at tmf scott p is my handle and at the motley fool au is our corporate page you can uh, send us messages chat with us follow us um all that kind of good stuff works really nicely on twitter instagram i haven't checked is instagram impacted by the facebook news doctor do we know oh, it should be
1: like, i mean right now as i'm reading um, we not, no? i don't know about that but state and hospital pages are gone from facebook
0: there you go. Yes, it's, uh, it's the Facebook have completely meshed up. i will mean, be fixed by time people listen to this. But man, I'll tell you what, if you're looking for public sympathy, some of the stuff they've they've blocked is bizarre. So they've just completely screwed it up. They had so much time to get this right, they managed to mess it up. Anyway, uh, if we're still on Instagram, you can get us at the Motley Fool A U. Assuming I haven't been personally banned, I don't think that's likely, but you never know. You can get me on Instagram at TMF Scott P. Uh, that wraps up all the different socials, but jump on Twitter's probably the easiest one. It's one we're on more and we're, um, it's, it's more interactive, it's more fun. So jump on Twitter. If you're not on Twitter already, really cool place to get some news. It can be a bit, you know, social media's got its downsides and stark underbellies, but I quite like it. It's, it's a pretty good way to chat with each other. And I get lots of questions and comments from listeners. So jump on Twitter if you're not already. I think you'll find it's worth doing. Uh, and of course, maybe the only option left to us by the end of the weekend is to do it old-fashioned way. And you can email us info at fool.com.au. And our wonderful member services, Fools, will make sure your questions make it through to us. All right, that wraps us up. Before we go, please do make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. If you're listening to this is a one-off, please do us a favor. Go to your favorite podcast app and hit the subscribe button on Motley Fool Money. You can do it through iTunes, through your favorite Android podcast app, or through the listener app the brand-new replacement for Podcast One. Listener, L-A-S-T-N-R. There's no E because we're cool and funky these days. And if you like what we're doing, please leave us a rating and a review if you wouldn't mind. Of course, tell your friends, sky-ride it. Um, crop circles are good. I, you know I what? I want to see a Motley Fool crop circle. Is that too much to ask, Doc?
1: Um, you can ask. <laughs> Why not? <laughs>
0: Come on. Someone out, someone out there has got to have a tractor and, and, and some spare time. So if you do have a, a photo of the Motley Fool logo in, in a... <laughs> <laughs> in, in your in your crops somewhere. Feel free to let us know. As as, uh, we'll, we'll share that one on, on whatever social media options are left to us by the end of the weekend. Hopefully. Hopefully it's all of them. At least uh maybe just Instagram and Twitter, we're not entirely sure. And of course, you can get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash
1: triple
0: N. Triple N. That does give you some marketing information as well for full disclosure. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next Friday with another dose of foolish insight. Fool on. Full on.